President Biden is facing scrutiny over his handling of classified documents. I don't know what's in the documents. I've, my lawyers have not suggested I ask. What's the media coverage of this been like? I'm Dwayne Brown with Layla Fadel, and this is Up First from NPR News. California Governor Gavin Newsom says residents should brace themselves for another round of powerful atmospheric rivers. We're not out of the woods. We expect these storms to continue at least through the 18th of this month. How's the state managing the deluge? And in Ukraine, Russian mercenary forces declared a rare victory in the country's east this week. What does it mean for the invasion almost a year into Russia's war on its neighbor? Stay with us. We'll give you the news you need to start your day. President Biden and his predecessor now have something in common. Biden and Donald Trump are both facing allegations that they mishandled classified documents. But how are these cases different and how are news outlets covering this latest revelation? CBS News has learned the Department of Justice is reviewing classified Obama-Biden records. Several classified documents from his time as VP under the Obama administration. The issue here is much more about politics than about law. Now, we asked NPR media correspondent David Folkenflik to help us unpack the coverage of the story, and he joins us now. Good morning, David. Good morning, Layla. Okay, so let's start at the beginning. How did this story break, and how was it presented? Well, let's think about this for a moment. There, there really haven't been a ton of scandals during the Biden presidency affecting True. Joe Biden himself beyond his troubled son, Hunter. So consider it a little bit of a media test case. CBS broke it, as we just heard. Biden's attorney's disclosed uh, through the White House. About a dozen documents were found with classified markings at this university center in Washington where the former vice president was before he became president. And they formed the National Archive and cooperating with the Justice Department. It's being reviewed by a Trump-appointed U.S. attorney in Chicago. That gets disclosed and then bursts out everywhere, a new scandal to cover after days of coverage of Republican dysfunction on Capitol Hill. And how has it been covered? How did different media outlets cover this story? Well, I think uh, you saw a bunch of coverage of the initial disclosure, which was as factual as we knew, very limited set of facts so far. A lot of questions Mm -hmm. remain. And then you saw a burst of speculation. You saw places like Punchbowl News, which focuses on Capitol Hill and Washington politics, portraying it as giving the Republicans a win because they could beat up the president over it. You know, you think of a place that's often critical of the president. Fox gave it a lot of coverage Monday, to be sure. But actually, CNN, far more so. There was review late last night by uh, Media Matters, a liberal media watchdog group making that case. That was consistent with my review of the transcripts for shows on CNN Fox Times. The primetime shows two times as much on CNN, three times as much, four times as much likely to be covering this as other issues. It suggests, you know, that CNN really decided, yes, to provide a lot of context, but also to go all in. I must say that coverage became calmer and more contextualized from Monday evening over the course of the day. Tuesday, analyses being brought on the air involving a lot of former government officials. I think there's been a tendency to want to compare the Trump classified document scandal and what Biden is facing now. But this isn't an apples to apples comparison, right? It's not apples to apples. I mean, let's be really clear. Trump and his lawyers didn't disclose they had these things. They said things that weren't true to the National Archives and to uh, to lawyers for the government. They then 
fought return of documents, it turned out there were hundreds of documents bearing markings of uh, classified designations and that these were also, in some cases, documents with nuclear secrets. Not the case uh, for in the Biden thing as far as we know. You know, look, there was a time where Bill Clinton's former national security advisor slipped out documents out of the National Archive in the, in the George W. Bush years in his clothing. He was criminally charged. So far, that's not the case here. Mm-hmm. Journalists do a disservice if they equate things that aren't the same. But yet, let's remember this is consequential and has to be covered. NPR media correspondent David Folkenflik, thanks so much for your time. You bet. In California, powerful storms have killed at least 17 people and forced tens of thousands to flee their homes. And more torrential rain is on the way. Here's California Governor Gavin Newsom. We're not out of the woods. We expect these storms to continue at least through the 18th of this month. We expect a minimum three more of these atmospheric rivers. NPR's Nathan Rott is in one of the affected areas in Ventura County, northwest of Los Angeles. He joins us now. Good morning, Nate. Hey, good morning, Layla. So what's the situation where you are? All right, so some parts of this county got more than 18 inches of rain over two days, just to give you a little perspective here. So there's still some localized flooding, road closures, but generally speaking, Ventura County is doing better than a lot of places along the California coast. The Ventura River, which cuts along the west end of town, is down significantly compared to where it was. But even still, Layla, this is a river where it meets a coast that you can usually kind of roll up your pants, walk, or even jump across. And Mm -hmm. yesterday when I went down there, it was at least 50 yards wide and who knows how deep because it looked like chocolate milk that you definitely wouldn't want to drink. Oh, man. So more than a dozen people had to be rescued from that river, right? Yeah, that's right. There was a lot of coverage about it here. I actually talked to some of those folks. They are unhoused and usually live in a little tent encampment down by the river. They're now camped out under a nearby overpass. Uh, One of the guys, Frankie, who didn't want to give his last name because some of his family don't know that he's uh, currently homeless, said his brother actually woke him up in his tent when the flooding started. And I'll let him tell you the rest. I looked outside and it was already ankle deep all around the tent. And probably about 20 minutes it was up to our waist, and by the time they shot a ladder over the bridge down to us, we were hanging on to uh, tree stumps, you know, uh, tree foliage, you know, coming out of the ground and stuff like that. We were there, seven of us. We got all climbed up on the ladder and rescued. And he said it was probably one of the scariest moments of his life. Sounds terrifying. How's the rest of the state doing with all of this water? So it really depends on the location. There's okay. been widespread flooding along some parts of the coast. There were some levee failures in inland. Uh, San Francisco was seeing pea-sized hail for a while yesterday. And this whole storm system isn't over, as we heard from the governor. Mike Anderson, the state climatologist, said in a press conference yesterday, there's still uncertainty about how severe the upcoming storms later this week and weekend will be. Uh, let's take a listen challenge now that we're getting to is that the rivers are not receding as much as they were earlier due to how much rain has fallen and the volume of water in the system. So any new water coming from these uh, upcoming atmospheric rivers won't have as many places to go, which of course could lead to even more flooding. So let's talk about climate change and the role it's playing in these storms. Yeah, so look, it's still too early for us for any attribution science to have been done, which is basically how we'd be able to definitively say that, yes, climate change has played a role in these storms. The link between climate change and atmospheric rivers, which are normal phenomena here in California and in many parts of the world, that is still not totally clear. 
What we can say, though, is that warmer air holds more moisture, and that's what's been fueling some of these really destructive hurricanes we've experienced in the southeast. And so we do know the world's air is warmer because of human actions, so these kinds of major precipitation events are expected to happen more frequently into the future. NPR's Nathan Rott in Ventura, California. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, Layla. In Ukraine, Russia and mercenaries aligned with the Kremlin have made small advances in recent days. Officials say intense fighting is continuing in and around the eastern city of Bakhmut. Advances in the nearby village of Solodar could lead to Bakhmut becoming encircled. It would be a rare military victory for Russia, however small. To understand what this means for the ongoing war in Ukraine, we turn to NPR's Alyssa Nadworny, who's in Kiev. Morning, Alyssa. Good morning. So a rare Russian success. How big of a deal is this? Yeah, so we're actually talking about a small settlement in the eastern part of Ukraine in the Donbass. The Mm -hmm. Wagner Group, a mercenary force run by a friend of Vladimir Putin, has been fighting to take this area since summer. So there's conflicting word on who controls this village of Solidar, uh, known for its salt mine. Ukraine's defense ministry says fighting is still happening. The leader of Wagner has been posting to Telegram with tempered gains. Mm -hmm. Capturing Solidar, that would allow Russia to potentially envelop Bakhmut. Um, These minor tactical advances, like we're talking block-by-block gains by Russia, they're significant mostly because Russia has struggled to make any operational gains. So they're standing out because they're so rare, but it doesn't mean it's a Russian turning point. Carolina Hurd is a Russia analyst at the Institute for the Study of War, and she says the real significance is the cost of this advance for Russia. The Ukrainians have very, very successfully pinned Russian forces up against Solidar and Bakhmut for six months and use this to basically just continue pulling Russian troops, Russian equipment to this area and basically burning through it. Heard made clear that the Russian capture of Solidar, it doesn't guarantee that Bakhmut will be encircled. Okay, Elizabeth, help us understand the significance of Bakhmut. Like, why does Russia want this area so badly? Yeah. So, well, there is a highway system that runs through Bakhmut, which is helpful for Ukrainian communication, moving troops. President Zelensky recently visited Bakhmut just before his trip to the U.S. Congress. And hold Bakhmut has kind of become this rallying cry here in Ukraine. The fighting there, Zelensky said, has brought Ukraine additional time and military power. I talked with Ole Ezdanov, a Ukrainian military expert here. He says for Russia and the Wagner Group, winning here sends a strong message home. For Russia, he says, there's no real military significance to Bakhmut. Rather, it's a political one, a message that Putin and the Wagner Group can bring back to the Russian people. Okay, I'm going to take a turn for a second. The U.S. says it's going to start training Ukrainian soldiers in the United States. How could that help Ukraine? Well, it's going to help defend against Russian air attacks, which have happened frequently throughout the Kree. So starting as early as next week, about 100 Ukrainian troops will come to a military base in Oklahoma to get trained on the Patriot missile defense system. So this is an air defense weapon that Ukrainians have been asking for for quite some time. The training is going to happen at Fort Sill, and it's expected to last several months, according to the Pentagon. So that's defending the air. For the ground fight, 
there are more weapons heading to Ukraine, among them armored vehicles from Germany, France, and the U.S. And there's hope that this wave of weapons from Europe will keep growing, perhaps more from the U.K., others like tanks, fighter jets, and longer-range missiles. NPR's Alyssa Nadwerny in Kyiv. Thanks, Alyssa, and stay safe. Thanks, Leila. And that's Up First for Wednesday, January 11th. I'm Leila Faldil. And I'm Dwayne Brown. Up First is produced by Ziad Butch and Shelby Hawkins. Our editors are Ali Schweitzer and Alice Wolfley. Our technical director is Carly Strange. Start your day here with us again tomorrow. And if you like your news on demand, check out the NPR One app. Get a mix of local, national, and international news wherever you go and whenever you want it. And hear podcasts based on what you like. Download NPR One.